very happy Thanksgiving to every single one of you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalms 73. Psalm 73. If you're wondering where Psalms is, it's one of the easiest books in the Bible to find. It's right smack in the middle. And so you go, just open your Bible in half. You're going to go to Psalm 73. We're going to start there. We're certainly not going to end there. But we are so very excited on this very special day to be celebrating Thanksgiving with you. And today at our 1130 service, we're excited to be starting a brand new message series today that I'm really excited to tell you about. You may already have an idea of what the name of the series is. It's a funny name. It's kind of a weird name. I'm not really sure how you're going to respond when I tell you what the name is, but the name of this brand new series that we're starting today over the next seven weeks, the name of the series is called Take Me Higher. Take Me Higher. Everyone say, Take Me Higher. Why do we call this series Take Me Higher? It's because in this series, we're looking at seven struggles that we all go through. You don't need to be a Christian or come from a Christian background to understand these struggles. These struggles affect all of us. As long as you're a human being living and breathing in this world, you will experience these struggles. These struggles tend to sap us of our strength. They tend to steal joy from our heart. They tend to distract us from what is most important in life. These struggles tend to keep us not as effective or not as peaceful as we'd like to be. And the fact is these struggles are not new. In fact, 1,500 years ago, the early Christian church identified these seven struggles as the seven deadly sins. What is sin? Sin is that tendency in each and every one of us to want to do, say, think, and act in ways that are contrary to God's original intent for our lives. And when we sin, though we think it might make us happy, at the end, it makes us sad. It's something that causes pain. It separates us from God. It alienates us from people. It causes pain in our relationships. And the fact is this, is unless we do something about these seven struggles we're going to be talking about over the next seven weeks, they will wreak havoc on our lives and in our relationships. And that's why we call this series, Take Me Haya. You're my man, like Pastor JB's watching way too many Bruce Lee movies. But the fact is, Take Me Haya is an exclamation used in some martial arts when you're just about to execute a punch, when you're just about to attack an opponent. Sometimes it's Haya, sometimes it's a Kya, sometimes if you're Bruce Lee, you're a Ho! It's whatever it might be. It is you approaching an opponent ready to attack. And that's appropriate for us in this series because this series called Take Me Higher is not just about understanding our struggles. It's about learning to overcome seven of life's biggest struggles. Are you excited for Take Me Higher? If you stick with us during this series over the next seven weeks, I believe it's going to bring so much benefit to your life and to your relationships. I believe that if you take to heart the things that we're talking about over the next seven weeks, I believe it's going to cause you to have more peace, more joy, more hope, more victory in your life today. And so with that in mind, are you ready for Take Me Higher? Let's get into it right now. Today we're starting our series called Take Me Higher. And first off, since we're talking about what some people call the seven deadly sins, what are the seven deadly sins? Let me give you a list right now. There's pride, anger, envy, lust, gluttony, slothfulness, or laziness, and greed. Now, a couple clarifications as we begin this series called Take Me Higher on the seven deadly sins is that first, when you read the Bible, you're not going to find a single verse in the Bible that says, these are the seven deadly sins. You're not going to say that. It doesn't list it this way. But the fact is, when you read the Bible, you're going to find that each of these sins is treated in a significant way by the Bible. And so we're going to be looking at each of these from week to week over the next seven weeks. Second is this, is that these are not the only sins that you can possibly commit. There are many more. There's, you, know, you can lie. We can worry. Those are all different sins. But the reason why ancient Christians would call these the seven deadly sins is because all the sins that you or I could possibly commit find their way to some one or two or more of the sins that we're talking about today. That's why they identify them as the seven deadly sins. Maybe you're looking at this list, and you can already identify with at least one or two of these as a struggle for you. In this series called Take Me Higher, we're not just talking about learning about these struggles. We're talking about how we can overcome these struggles as well. So I hope you don't just join us today. I hope you come back after this week into the next six, seven weeks. Invite you to come back and bring your friends as we look at overcoming life's biggest obstacles together. Turn your ear, give them a high five and say the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. We're going to tackle the first of the seven deadly sins right now. We're going to look at Psalm 73. 
Psalm 73, and I'm going to ask all of us to stand as we get ready to read the Word of God this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you have it in front of you, to read it. If you don't, it's on the screen. Let's read this, this, this passage out loud. Psalm 73, starting with verses 2 to 5 and then 16 to 17. Let's read it in a big, loud voice together right now. What does it say? It says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Today's message is entitled, The End of Envy. We're talking about envy today. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, give them a high five, and just for fun, before we take your seats, give them a high five, and just for fun, would you tell them, you can stop envying me now. You can stop envying me now. Please have your seats. Don't you love it when I tell you to say out loud things that you would never say out loud? Well, praise God. Welcome to Thrive Church. Well, here's the, here it is. We're talking today about envy. And it has been called in the past the nastiest, most secretive, meanest of the seven deadly sins. We're talking about envy. It's also a struggle that most of us possess, but that many of us are very hesitant to confess. We're talking about envy. Envy, what is envy? Why don't you take good notes today? Write down a definition for envy here. Envy is being resentful because someone else has something that you don't have. It's looking at what others have and being resentful, even hateful, because you're like, why do they have that and I don't? That's what envy is. Aristotle, the famous ancient philosopher, he said, envy is pain at the sight of another's good fortune. You know, some people, they call envy the sin of the evil eye. It's because it's based on what you see others have, you begin to resent them for what they have. Do you struggle with envy? In case you're not really sure, because envy can be a somewhat deceptive sin, is that we might not think we struggle with until we take a closer look. Well, let's take a closer look right now. Here are six clues that you might struggle with envy. Clue number one, to measure how you're doing in life, you keep comparing yourself to others. Is that you? See, it's like wherever you go, you carry with you this invisible measuring stick, and you're constantly measuring yourself against other people. Who's richer? Who makes more money? Who's more accomplished? Who's better looking? Who's smarter? Who's cooler? Who's got, you know, more, you know, friends? Who's more popular? You know, who's got better hair? That's if you're in your 20s and 30s. You know, who's got more hair? That's if in your 40s and 50s. Who's got any hair at all? That's probably 60s and 70s and 80s. In other words, from season to season to season, you find new ways to compare yourself to the people around you. Say you're on social media and all your friends on Instagram, all your friends on Facebook, they, they, you don't know them that well, but when you see the stuff that they're doing online, when you see the stuff that they're posting, it makes you go, man, my life sucks. You, you see all the amazing things that they're doing. They're saving the world yet again. Their daughter just got into Harvard. Their dog just got into Stanford. They're just, oh, what, what's going on? And, and, and you know, you're going on these amazing vacations, and you're like, man, my life sucks. You're like, I wish I had that person's life. I wish I had that person's wife. I wish I had that person's house. I wish I had that person's spouse. I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had the person's kids. I wish I had that person's good fortune. Have you ever felt that way? before. See, envy has this way of getting to us, especially at close range, is that you won't, you and I, we won't tend to compare ourselves and envy people who are really, really different from us or in a really different world from us. We tend to envy people who are kind of close to us, close range to us. And so, for example, you know, me as a pastor, I might not envy, say, you know, Justin Bieber, a pop star, even though we've got the same initials, right, uh, JB, but, but I, I won't necessarily envy him, but who, who, who would I compare myself to? I'd look, okay, wh who are the other pastors in the city? Or, or what, what else is going on that I'm part of, that, that, that and they're doing that too? We tend to do close range. Maybe you're a businessman in the city, and maybe you're not comparing yourself to Warren Buffett or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, but you're comparing yourself and maybe even envying the business across the street. The person who's doing something similar to you because it's close range. Maybe you're a full-time mom and you don't envy, say, Katy Perry or Taylor Swift, but what you envy or who you compare yourself to is that other mom who seems so perfect, who always seems to have it all together. Is that you today? See, when we measure ourselves and how we're doing in life based on comparisons, that is possibly a clue that we struggle with envy. And when we are feeling like, you know, we're doing well because we compare ourselves to someone who's doing worse than us, we feel really good, that's called pride. But when we compare ourselves to someone and we think, oh man, they're doing so much better than me, that's called envy. Do you struggle with that? Clue number two that you might struggle with envy. You find it difficult to celebrate other people's happiness and success. 
when someone has good news to announce. They're like, oh, I got a new boyfriend, or I'm getting married, or we're engaged, or we're expecting. You're like, wow, that's great, congratulations. But then deep down you're thinking, what about me? Where's my new boyfriend? Where's my ring? You know, and, and you're thinking, what about me? You know, maybe it's like, oh, I got into that school I applied for, or I got the promotion, or yeah, you know, we got our new house, and we renovated, you got to come see it. Oh, that's wonderful. What about me? Deep down, you're thinking, what about me? Have you asked that question before? When someone gets all the credit and all the attention, maybe you think, what about me? That's clue number two. Does that apply to you? Clue number three, you often think life is unfair. If life were a card game, you feel like you've been dealt a bad hand. It's like you look at the cards that you have, you compare it to what you think other people's cards look like, and you're like, why is life so unfair? Why don't I have the talents that they have? Why don't I have the opportunities that they have? Why don't I have the looks that they have? Why don't I have the people that they have? Why don't I have the help that they have? And you think, man, why is my life so unfair? Why is everyone else getting all the breaks and nothing is coming my way? Why is their life so easy, my life so hard? Have you asked that question before? Then if that's the clue, then clue number three applies to you, and maybe you struggle with envy. Clue number four is you are quick to downplay other people's success by criticizing them. Oh yeah, you know the reason why his business grew so fast? is because they're cutting corners. You know, they're not paying their taxes, they're doing some shady stuff over there. Oh yeah, you know that, the reason why that girl is so pretty? is because her husband lets her spend all this money on Botox. And you know, the different treatments, and the most expensive makeup, and that's why she looks the way that she does. And that's why, you know why that church is growing so fast? It's because they're stealing all these people from other churches. That's why. And see, here's the thing, criticism can be a disguise for envy, is that when you see someone who's hypercritical of other people, you got to watch out, because very well, what might be happening under the, uh, under the surface of criticism is something called envy. It's something called insecurity. Criticism is often a disguise for envy. Is that you? Are you really critical of others? Maybe it's because deep down, what you have is something called envy. Clue number five, you often feel like you're living in someone else's shadow. Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe growing up, there was someone who stood out more than you did in your home. Maybe it was your brother. Maybe it was your sister. Maybe it was your parent. And you just always felt like people were comparing you to that person. And that person always was the smarter one, the nicer one, the prettier one, the more put together one, the more accomplished one. And maybe even to this day, you feel like people still compare decades later you to that person and you resent it. You feel like, why is it that I have to live with reference to this person all the time? Is that you? Then maybe clue number five applies to you. Clue number six, last clue for today. Clue number six that you might struggle with envy is you secretly reject rejoice when that someone fails. Oh, you didn't get the promotion? Oh, that's too bad. Oh, oh you, your boyfriend dumped you? Oh, that's awful. Let me pray for you. you know, what, what, but deep down, you're like, I feel a lot better about myself. Has that ever happened to you? In fact, there's this old Jewish folktale. It's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical story, but it's an old Jewish kind of fairy tale about the store owner. One day, he's visited by an angel, and it's like the movie Aladdin. It's where this angel comes to the store owner and says, I will give you one wish, and I will give you whatever you wish for. The only catch is, whatever you wish for, that person you envy the most is going to get twice as much. They get double what you ask for. And he was like, oh. He starts to think. All night he's thinking, what can I ask for? The next morning the angel returns, says, so, do you know what to wish for? And the store owner goes, yes. I wish that you would make me blind in one eye. Why? It's because he's hoping his rival will be blind in both eyes. Why? It's because he struggled with envy. See, here's the thing. Do you struggle with envy? If any of these clues applies to you, one or more of them, then there's a really good chance that envy is a struggle for you. It's a struggle for many of us. And see, you're going to find that if you struggle with envy, there are some problems that will happen in your life as a result. Here are some problems that envy causes. Number one, write this down. Envy destroys your health and happiness. You know, recently, medical research has found that there's actually a link between envy and our physical health. Is that when you have envy in your heart, it takes a toll on the rest of your body. There's physical side, uh, side effects to envy, like high blood pressure hypertension, loss of appetite, poor posture. It can even lead to depression. Interestingly, long before doctors today were talking about the link between envy 
and our physical health. The Bible was talking about how envy hurts our health. Look at Proverbs 14.30. What does it say? Read it with me in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, there's another translation in the Bible that takes the same verse and compares it to a cancer. It says that envy is like a cancer that you can't see from the outside, but on the inside, it's eating, it's eating you up. And for as long as you have envy in your heart, it is destroying you from the inside out. And see, that's why you will never find a person who is envious and happy at the same time. It's, it's not possible is that that person does not exist. That's an oxymoron. A happy, envious person does not exist. That's because envy blinds you to the good things in your own life. You start resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Envy makes us unhappy. Envy makes us discontent. Envy makes us judgmental of others. It's because envy destroys your health and happiness. Second problem that envy creates. Second problem is this. Number two is envy distracts you from what's most important. You know, right now as a church, we're studying the book of Genesis, going through the book of Genesis a little bit every day. And right now we're looking at the life of Abraham. Everyone say Abraham. And if you're reading your Bible, maybe you know the land that Abraham came from. He came from the land of Ur. Everyone say Ur. That's spelled U-R, the land of Ur. And you know, we, we, you, you know, that, that land doesn't exist now, but many of us today, we also live in the land of Ur. But not U-R-Ur, it's E-R-Ur. We live in a land where it's not just enough to be rich, we need to be richer than the next person. It's not enough just to be funny. We need to be funnier than the next guy. It's not, just to be, not enough just to be pretty. We need to be prettier than the person next to us. We just, it's not enough just to be cool. We need to be cooler in the land of Ur. And see, in the land of Ur, it's all about keeping up with your neighbor. Did you see that big house that they moved into? <gasps> we got to get a bigger house. Oh, did you see that purse that she was carrying? <gasps> I got to get a better, nicer bag than that. Not the same bag because it looked like I'm competing. A nicer bag. Right? What is that? That's living in the land of Ur, where it's not enough just to have what you have. You have to have more than the next person. When we work so hard to keep up with our neighbor that way, you know what happens? We start to act in silly ways. I like how Pastor Rick Warren says it. He says, envy causes us to spend money that we don't have to buy things that we don't need, to, to impress people that we don't even care for. That's what envy does. It causes us to act in silly ways. And guess what? This is not a new problem. 3,000 years ago, Solomon, he was king over Israel, and he noticed the same problem in his own land, in his own culture. Look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 4 with me right now. Big, loud voice, read it with me. It says, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. See, when we try to keep up with people just because we're comparing ourselves to them, what we end up doing is we act in silly ways. We get distracted from what's most important. And in the meantime, while we're trying to impress people that we don't even really care that much about, we're taking for granted the people who really do matter to us. If you believe that, say amen. Number three, third problem that envy creates. Envy damages our relationships. Tell me this, no, I can't be a good friend to you if I'm envying you at the same time. If I'm envying you and secretly hoping that you're not going to succeed, how can I be a good friend or a good spouse or a good support to you if that's the case? The fact is that envy ruins our relationships. Envy turns us into bad friends. Envy turns us into bad lovers. Envy turns us into bad spouses. Envy turns us into bad teammates. It makes us unable to enjoy our relationships. Look at James chapter 3, verse 16. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder order and every evil practice. You know, James is saying here, where there is envy, you find every sort of evil. Before I used to look at this verse and go, Man, is that a bit of an exaggeration? Like every sort of evil comes from envy? But when you read your Old Testament, you're going to find this. The first time people sinned, it was because of envy. Adam and Eve, they envied what God had, and so they sinned. The first murder that ever took place in the Bible was due to envy. Cain 
was envious of Abel and killed him as a result. The first time a child was abandoned, it was due to envy. You've got a guy called Ishmael, a little boy, and he's left behind because the, his mother was the victim of envy from someone else called Sarah. You know, the first time the, there was a sibling rivalry between two sisters that lasted decades, that was Rachel and Leah. Do you know what happened? It was envy that caused that rivalry. You go to the New Testament, and when you flip to the New Testament, you'll find that Jesus has all these critics, all these opponents, among them the chief priests of the land, and they are so envious of Jesus and his popularity and his influence, they decide we're going to hand Jesus over to authorities and under false pretenses, we're going to have him crucified. It was because of envy. And see, that's the thing about envy is that it actually leads into other sins. That's why envy is so deadly. That's the third reason why envy is so damaging. It damages our relationships. Number four is that envy is a sin that cuts you off from God. Envy is a sin that cuts you off from God. See, when you have envy in your heart, envy is not just a feeling. Envy is not just oh, a personal weakness. Envy is not just a bad habit. Envy is not just something that hurts the people around you. Guess what? It has an impact on your relationship with God. See, when you envy what others have, you're effectively making a statement to God. You're saying, God, what you gave me is, is not good enough. God, what you gave me sucks compared to what you gave someone else. When, when you say, God, I'm envious of that person, what you're doing is you're saying that what you gave me is not as good as what you gave someone else and you start being resentful you start being you know taking for granted the blessings in your life you start resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring God's goodness in your own life look at Galatians chapter 5 19 to 21 read it with me a big loud voice one two three it says when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are very clear sexual immorality impurity lustful pleasures idolatry sorcery hostility quarreling jealousy outbursts of anger selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. Stop right there. See, envy is in this list of all these different sins that are when we follow the desire of our sinful nature, one of the results is envy. Keep on going. Envy, drunk, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, envy is not just a bad feeling. Envy is not just a bad habit. Envy is a sin that cuts us off from a holy, perfect God. God is perfect. Perfect, we are not, and envy is one of those things that separates us from God, such that when there's envy in my heart, I cannot have anything to do with God. Not now, not later. I can't reach heaven when there's envy in my heart. And so that's why envy is so destructive. It's a sin that cuts us off from God. The evangelist Billy Graham, he once said, Envy is a spiritual leprosy. It's isolating you from friends and fellowship with God. It's no wonder the Bible says you gotta get rid of envy. It's no wonder. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. What does it say? It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, you got to get rid of envy. you got to get rid of envy. Somehow, some way, you got to get rid of envy. How do you get rid of envy? Let me give you four tips from the Bible on how you can overcome the struggle of envy. Number one, write this down. Admit you have a problem with envy. See, envy, the thing about envy is that it's one of the toughest, if not the toughest, of all the seven deadly sins to admit. Why? It's because when we admit that we're envious of others, we're afraid that we're going to come across as petty or weak or in fear, and we don't want that to happen. So we kind of don't admit it. We don't, you know, acknowledge it. We kind of deny it. So because it's a hard sin to confess, maybe let me take the lead as your pastor, and let me confess to you times when I've envied other people. Is that okay? All right? So here are a few. So when I'm driving, sometimes I'll be parked, or I'll be driving and stopped at a stoplight, and beside me will pull up this beautiful sports car. Maybe it's a Maserati. Maybe it's a Porsche. Usually it's a young driver driving that Porsche or driving that Maserati. On the back of his car is a new driver Stein sticker. And I'm looking at his car and looking at my car, and I'm going, why is he driving a beautiful Maserati? And here I am in my 2005 Honda Odyssey. What is wrong with this world? Right? See, that, that's me. What is that? That's envy. That's envy. I'm not a huge car guy. It's just one of those fleeting thoughts, but sometimes I get that thought. And, and that's, that's rooted in envy. You know, I, I've, I've not just envied people. You know, I've also envied, uh, you know, animals. I've envied the cat. 
that gets more Facebook likes than my sermons. You know, like, like, I, get this. I, I spend 15 hours preparing a single sermon, and I get however many likes. And then this cat just sits there and looks cute, and he gets hundreds and hundreds of likes. What is wrong with this world? Because I, I, I envy a cat. I admit it. You know, I, I've also envied our parent church. Our parent church is in Taiwan. They're called Torch Covenant Church. When they started the church, it grew like crazy. It's just like one of the fastest growing churches in Taiwan. And, and I looked at their, the way that they're growing and I looked at you know, us when we started here. It was just Pastor Charlene and myself and, and we were kind of unknown in the city and, and we're just tough slugging, trying to, trying to create a culture, trying to create a church, trying to plant this church. And, and, and you know, it was one of those things where you know, we, like, you know, our, our, church, our parent church in Taiwan, they're, they're growing, they're making history. I'm here going, man, what, what about us? What about us? And praise God, you know, we're not, you know, we, we have a parent church in Taiwan, but we are not a Chinese church. We are a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial church because that's the kingdom of God in Vancouver. Amen. Amen. And we happen to have a lot of Chinese people because Greater Vancouver has a lot of Chinese people. But the fact is this, is that I envied our parent church. And in fact, it wasn't until I admitted that I struggled with that envy that God started to grow our church. And see, it just goes to show that you don't need to feel like there's so much shame in admitting that you struggle with envy. In fact, there's not shame. There's freedom when you admit that you struggle with envy because admitting you have a problem is the first step to overcoming it. If you believe us, say amen. Look at Proverbs 28 verse 13. What does it say? It says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Turn to your and say, don't be afraid to admit it. Don't be afraid to admit it. You don't need to admit it to every single person. You don't need to go to the stranger at Salem Foods and go, hey, hi, do you know I'm really, really envious? You don't have to say that. But the fact is, you can say that to God. You can admit it to God and say, God, I struggle with envy. I have a problem with envy, and I need your help in this area. A broken, contrite heart, God will not despise. And so admit you have a problem with envy. Point number two, if you want to conquer envy and not let it be an issue in your life, number two, don't let comparisons control you. Are you the type to let comparisons control your happiness? You know, once I was listening to this young, one young mom who was talking about, she's like, you know, JB, like whenever I go online, whenever I go on Facebook, whenever I go on Instagram, I feel like the worst mom of all time. Because, you look, I don't make cupcakes like that. My kids' rooms don't look like that. I feel 10 times worse after going online, and I feel like, man, I'm the worst mom in the, road, uh, in the world, and I start to just kick myself and, 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 and just kind of ruminate on it for hours. Maybe you're like that as well. And see, it goes to show, one side lesson is you got to watch what you expose your eyes to. Is that the, the kind of entertainment that you look at, the kind of books you read, even the kind of ads that you listen to, all those will try, if possible, to feed into certain types of envy in us. And so you want to be careful. Turn to your and say, you got to be careful. But there's more to it than that. See, why is it that we shouldn't let comparisons control us? Because the fact is, no matter what you do, you can't avoid comparisons. How can you not let comparisons control you? Here's reason number one. Remember that comparisons can be misleading. Everyone say misleading. Comparisons can be misleading. Comparisons sometimes in certain contexts are helpful and necessary, but in certain places, it's very misleading. Why is it? It's because we tend to compare the worst of what we know about ourselves with the best that we assume about the other person. Let me say that again. We tend to compare the worst of what we know about ourselves with the best of what we assume about the other person. And if you don't know what that means, let me show you a photo to describe what that means. See, this is a cool photo here. Look at this. What's going on? I want you to notice what's inside the box, and then I want you to notice what's outside of the box. Notice what's inside of the box is a perfect photo. What is that? Oh, her makeup is perfect. Her hair is perfect. She's dressed perfectly. Her baby is so cute. Got a finger in the mouth, and it just looks like a perfect worth, like Facebook-worthy, Instagram-worthy photo, isn't it? And I, I just see, you know, the caption, so blessed to be the mom of this amazing child, hashtag blessed. You know, I can just see that right now. But see, here's the thing. Very often, we look at stuff online, especially, especially online. Not online as well, but online especially. And we see all these perfect pictures of people doing these amazing things. And, and we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, they have it all. 
man, their life is perfect. And look at my mess. Look at this. Look at, look at, look at everything that's wrong about my life. And we think that this, all the stuff we know about our mess, we assume that that is all their lives are all about. When in fact, you have no idea what's outside the box. You have no idea. And very often what we do is we compare the worst of what we know about ourselves with the little best that we assume about others. When in fact, look at this. Look at what's outside the box. Look at this. You know, there's like dirty laundry all over the place. Toys are all over the place. Her pants are not even clean. And the baby's not even dressed outside the box. And what is that? It just goes to show that... You don't know what's happening in the lives of people outside the box. And so don't assume that their lives are perfect. The fact is we all have messes. Amen. And Jesus even says, in this world, you will have trouble. In other words, until the day you get to heaven and see Jesus face to face, you will never have a perfect life, and neither will anybody else. And so how silly and misleading it is for you to take the worst of what you know about yourself and compare it to some facade of someone else's life where you think that's all there is to it. It's not true. It's misleading. If that makes any sense to you, give God a big hand. You're in this place right now. Don't let comparisons control you. See, there's a second reason why you don't want to let comparisons control you. Write this one down. Remember that you have a unique destiny that cannot be compared to anyone else's. So embrace your uniqueness. Let me put it to you this way. On the day that you stand before God, God is not going to ask you, so what did you do with what I gave your sister? not going to ask you that. On the day you stand before God, God is not going to say, what did you do with what I gave your classmate? Not going to say that. You know what he's going to say? On the day you stand before God, God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? It's because if God was so concerned about you being just like your sister, he would have made you just like your sister. The fact that he didn't make you just like your sister shows that God is up to something different because God is not into making copies. God is only into making originals. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. You are not a copy of someone else. You're not even a bad carbon copy of someone else. You are an original. You are a masterpiece. You have a destiny that can't be compared to anyone else. And so stop being controlled by comparisons. Amen. You know, I like to say it this way, is that, you know, your destiny is like a pair of shoes that only fits you. Have you ever tried wearing the shoes of someone else? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. You know, have you ever tried bowling shoes? Anyone ever want to trade your bowling shoes for your real shoes? No, of course not, because it's uncomfortable. It's someone else's shoes. The fact is, is so many of us, the reason why we're so frustrated with life is because we try to be like people other than us, trying to fit into their shoes when God is saying, you are original, you're a masterpiece, I've got a unique destiny for you. Walk in your own shoes. Amen. Amen. And see, Galatians chapter 6 Verse 4 says it this way. Read it with a big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. See, I'm not saying don't learn from others. We can. We absolutely need to, and we must. But here's the thing. For some of you, the reason why you're so frustrated with life right now is because you are controlled by comparisons. And those comparisons are making you miserable. It's time to stop. It's time to realize you are not a carbon copy of someone else. You are an original. So embrace your uniqueness. Amen. For some of you here, the mistake you're making is related but not exactly the same. The mistake that you're making is that you keep comparing someone close to you with someone far away that you admire. Is that you go to your house and you see your spouse and you think, why can't you be more like, you know, pretty Polly at work? Or, or you go to your kid and you think to yourself, why can't you be more like straight A Cindy? The fact is this, you have no idea who straight A Cindy is. You have no idea who pretty Polly is. And for parents here in this place, for as long as you keep comparing your child to straight A Cindy, and you don't even know who straight, straight A Cindy is, you're going to make your life miserable. You're going to make your child's life miserable because your child is a unique, original masterpiece. Amen. 
and for husbands and wives in this place, as long as you keep comparing your wife, husbands, to that girl you see on the screen, or as long as, you know, girls here in this place, you keep comparing yourself to that guy in church who seems so perfect, you're going to make life miserable for you and miserable for one another. So stop being controlled by comparison. Turn to me and say, stop being controlled by comparison. And embrace your uniqueness. Embrace the uniqueness of the people in your home because they're originals too. Is this helping anyone in this place this evening or this morning? Praise God. Praise God. It's not evening yet. I haven't been preaching that long. Praise God. Number three, if you want to learn to overcome envy, write this one down. Choose an attitude of gratitude. Focus on the good in your life, not the poo in your life. Now, in all my years preaching, about 12, 13 years, I've never used the word poo in a sermon outline. So why start today? Let me tell you why I'm starting today. It's because four months ago, I broke my foot. I don't know exactly when I did it. I don't know exactly how I did it. But doctors suspect that because I run quite a bit, I'll run maybe three times a week, not huge distances, maybe like three miles each time, that after so many years of doing that, that my foot through wear and tear was starting to break. And so they looked at my x-ray. They said, you have fractured your fifth metatarsal, and so you need to be in a boot for the next several months. You can't do the kind of runs you've been doing. In fact, you can't exercise your lower body at all, and so you've got to be in a boot. And for the next four months, I just sat there in a boot watching other people run and going, oh, I miss running. And, you know, it was one of those where uh, four months later, they do another x-ray, and they're like, hey, you know, Mr. Lim, congratulations. I think it's almost completely healed. You can start running again. I was like, yes. And so you know what I did? On the first long weekend of September, I remember I went to a park nearby our house, and it was a beautiful sunny day. And you know when you're injured, you are kind of weary of injuring that thing again. And so I was like, you know, I'm not going to run on a treadmill this time. I'm not going to run on the road. I'm going to run on a soft surface. I'm going to run on a field. I'm going to go to a park. And so I went to this beautiful park. And in case you think I just got this from the internet, uh, here's a picture of me in the park, okay? All right, so, that, so this is not made up at all. This is a true, true story. And so this is me in the park and with a, a little bit more hair than I have right now and, 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 and there I am running and it feels amazing. I'm like, oh my goodness, I've missed this. I've missed this for so much time. Four months of not running. I feel great. I feel good. I feel limber. I feel strong. I feel fast. I feel all these things and I'm feeling so good. I run for about 20, 25 minutes. I'm sweating. At the end of it, I start to slow down. I'm huffing. I'm puffing and then I start to slow down and I realize something about this field that I'm running in. I realize as I'm looking closer at the ground that this field is full of poo. It's full of poo. It's not, thank God, not human excrement. Thankfully, it's not dog feces. But just in case, we, our, our multimedia was, was kind enough to highlight all the poo for you. So here we go. It's, there's poo there. It's, it's Canada goose poo, by the way. It's, God bless our Canada geese. And the fact is that they were just all over the place. And, and in fact, you know, it's one of those things where you look, it's this beautiful scene, but then when you look more closely, look, there's poo here, there's, uh, there's poo here, uh, there's poo here, there's poo everywhere. It's, it was just everywhere. And, 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 and this is the thing, but I didn't care because I was just happy to be running again. Why do I mention that story to you? It's because I'm here to tell you today is that in life, in every season you go through, in every situation you are in, you have a choice. You can either focus on all the good that is in your life, or you can focus on all the poo that is in your life. Sometimes the reason why we're so unhappy is not really because your hard situation is so, so, so hard. It's because our focus is on all the poo. We're just focused on the wrong thing. And it's almost like you're, if you're one of those people who's so miserable these days, and you're making other people at home miserable these days because you're so focused on, you're zooming in on all the poo that's in your life, it's time to do something on Thanksgiving weekend. It's time to zoom out and take a look at the field that's on your life right now because it's a beautiful field that's full of God's goodness. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Can you show the big field without the poo right now? Show the big field, the first one. Show the first one. Yeah, that's right. It's a beautiful, beautiful field. It's about what you focus on. Amen. And see, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says it this way. Read with me, big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, 
Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice what verse 18 says. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. Not in just some circumstances where you feel good. In all circumstances. Does that mean you do absurd things like, oh, I break my foot. Oh, God, thank you for the pain. Oh, God, thank you for the inconvenience. No, 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 no. See, what it is is that in every situation... You can thank God that even in the toughest point of your life, there are still things to be thankful for. You can say, yeah, sure, I've got a broken foot. Yeah, sure, I can't run for four months. Yeah, sure, my, my, I, I look like half man, half robot right now with this boot on me. But praise God, I've got a wife who loves me unconditionally. Praise God, I've got a family that's here taking care of me. Thank you that I've got a church that always asks me, how are you doing? And they're praying for me. Thank God that, you know, even though it's one boot, at least it's not two boots. At least I have one other leg to, to walk on. Thank God that, you know, one day this is going to be healed. It's just only a little while, and, and soon I'm going to be able to run again. Amen. What is that? That's turning your attention away from the stinky poo and focusing on all the good that God has given to you. See, one of my favorite examples of focusing on the good is a guy called Arthur Ashe. In the 1960s, 1970s, Arthur Ashe was one of the most famous, one of the most accomplished tennis players in all the world. On numerous occasions during his career, Arthur Ashe was ranked the number one tennis player in the world. He, in fact, is the only African-American tennis player to ever win Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, and the Australian Open in a single career. And see, Arthur Ashe, he was not only a championship tennis player, he also had a rival called Stan Smith. Stan Smith was also a championship tennis player, also one of the greatest to ever play the game. And see, Stan Smith is known now more for his shoes. People, oh, could you get your Stan Smith? Because he's now got a shoe company now. But back then, he was one of the world's greatest tennis players. And these two were rivals. They had some epic battles on the court during the 1960s and 70s. And here's the thing, Stan was a Christian. And what impressed Arthur so much about Stan is that whenever they would play one another, whether Stan won or whether Stan lost, he was always gracious. He was always humble. He didn't rub it in when he won. He wouldn't sulk and complain when he lost. And he just thought, you know, Arthur thought, you know, that's really cool of him. And, you know, they became really good friends. They started to travel together when they would go to different tournaments to play. And soon Arthur found out that Stan was a Christian. And that very much the way that he operated in life was fueled by his faith in Jesus Christ. How Jesus died on the cross for our sins. How he rose again from the grave. How he's alive today. And because of that, we have hope. We have forgiveness. We have peace in our heart that the world can't provide. And so Arthur was like, you know what, that's really cool. And they would have these hour-long conversations talking about Stan's faith. And eventually, as you know, Arthur started to read the Bible for himself, he said, you know what? He started to go to church himself. One day, Arthur prayed a prayer. He opened up his heart to say, Jesus, come into my life forgive me my sins. Be my savior. And that's exactly what he did. You know, in 1988, Arthur one day woke up from his bed, and for some reason, he couldn't move his right arm. He went to see the doctors, and after a series of tests, the doctors reported to him that Arthur had contracted HIV, probably through a blood transfusion that he'd taken a few years before. In 1993, five years after being diagnosed with HIV, Arthur Ashe died of AIDS-related pneumonia but not before becoming a spokesperson for the fight against AIDS. See, once Arthur was being interviewed, and the interview asked him, knowing his situation, knowing that his days were numbered, he asked Arthur, he said, aren't you angry at God for what happened to you, Arthur? Like, aren't you mad at God because of what happened? And, you know, by this point, Arthur was a Christian. Arthur received Jesus into his life. And this is how Arthur responded. It's one of the coolest things I've ever heard anyone say. He said, if I were to say God why me, about the bad things, then I should have had said, God, why me, about the good things that happened in my life. You know, very often, we say, God, why me, when things are not going the way we want. We're like, oh, the person left me, God, why me? Oh, oh, that person broke my heart, God, why me? Oh, God, that door didn't open, God, why me? And we use it as a complaint. We use it as, God, I didn't deserve this. God, what were you thinking? God, how could this happen? Why me? Have you ever said that before? Either out loud or in your heart, you're going through such a tough time, you're like, God, why me? And I love what Arthur Ashe says. He says, if I were to say that about the bad things that happened in my life, Shouldn't I all the more say that about the great things that have happened in my life? Is that, God, why me? How, how could you be so good to me to bless me the way that you have? 
you know, how I didn't deserve it, but you did it anyways. And, and, and here's the thing, is that maybe for you, the reason why you are so unhappy with life right now is because you're focused on all the why me curses and problems in your life. When God is wanting to tell you today, focus on the why me blessings that are in your life. Here's a question for you today. What are some why me blessings that you've received that can remind you of God's goodness in your life today? Blessings where you go, what did I do to deserve that? What did I do to deserve her? What did I do to deserve him? What did I deserve, do to deserve that opportunity? Why me? You know, when I think about why me blessings in my life, you know, I, I can think of, you know, I get to be the dad of two amazing sons. I got little Caleb, who's just 15 months old, and, and he makes us laugh like no one else. I got, you know, my older son Bradley, who I'm so proud of, and he's becoming this amazing young man. And I think to myself, man, I get to be the dad of these two amazing sons. Why me? Of all the people in this world, why me? Why, why did I get to do that? Why me? I think about, you know what, like, I, I, why, why me that of all the people in the world, I got to be married to this amazing girl called Charlene. I think to myself, why me? How, how is it that I somehow won the jackpot and won the lottery when she came into my life? Why me? Why me? I know we get our, our, you know, into our arguments sometimes, and we both got our flaws sometimes, but God, why me? Why me that I get to be as lucky as I am? You know, why me that I get to be loved by an amazing family? Why me that I get to be part of an amazing church family here at Thrive? Why me? And you know, the greatest why me of all is why is it that when I was separated from God, when you and I had no way of reaching God no matter how hard we tried, why is it that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for people like you and me? His perfect son, blameless, innocent, flawless, made never a sin, made never a mistake. He died on the cross for people like us who are always messing up. Why us? Why me? It's because God loves you. It's because God is a God who loves you. And I don't know about you, but on this Thanksgiving Sunday, there are so many blessings that I'm going to put to you today that even in that tough situation that you're in today, that the why me problems in your life are nothing compared to the why me blessings that God has used to fill your life. Do you believe that? If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Come on, give God some thanks for all of your why me blessings today. There's more in you than that, church. Come on, give God all of your praise today. You know, some people, they say the grass is greener on the other side. You ever heard that? Oh, the grass is always greener on the other side. Ever heard that before? Ever felt that before? Ever thought that before? The fact is this, is the grass is not always greener on the other side. Let me tell you where the grass is always greener. The grass is always greener where you water the grass. And the fact is, maybe in your situation right now, you've been so busy watering someone else's grass. Oh, they're so good. Oh, they're so, they're so rich. Oh, they're so popular. Why can't I be more like them? And you're just watering their grass while your grass is drying up. And as a result, no wonder that looks so good. It's because you're watering their grass. But if you will say, you know what? God, thank you. I choose an attitude of gratitude today. Thank you, God, for clothes on my back. Thank you, God, for food on the table. Thank you, God, for people who love me and support me in my tough times. Thank you, God, for the promises of your word. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins. Thank you, God, that though I have trouble in this world, that heaven is my home and one day I'll be with you. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter what I go through, in all things you work for the good of those who love you. Thank you, God, that you know the plans you have for me, plans to prosper not to harm me, plans to give me hope in a future. Thank you, God, that there's nothing I go through where you're not with me, that you will never leave me or forsake me. What is that? You're watering your grass. You're watering your grass. Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand here this place right now. You're watering your grass because the grass is always greener where you water it, where you choose an attitude of gratitude. That's why coming to church, coming to Thrive each weekend is such a helpful thing. It's because we are celebrating Thanksgiving, not just today, but every single Sunday. Every time we're together, every Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday. And instead of focusing on everything that's wrong and all the poo that's in your life, focus on what's right. Choose an attitude of gratitude. Last point we're going to close today. You guys have been awesome. Number four, let God's unconditional love define your life. If you want to overcome envy, let God's unconditional love define your life. You know, the reason why envy is such a hard thing for us is not simply because we make these comparisons and go, yeah, he's richer than I am. Yeah, he's more successful than I am. Yeah, she's prettier than I am. It's not just because of that comparison. It's not simply because that person's richer or that person is better looking or that person's got more options. It's not simply that that makes it hard. It's because we think that the comparison says something about our value. 
We think the comparison says something about our worth. Because that person is richer than me, that means that person is worth more than me. Though your net worth and your worth are not the same thing. The, oh, because that person's prettier than me, that person is worth more than me. They're more valuable. They matter more. And I'm here to tell you today, if that's the way you live your life, it's all that you think your worth is based on how you compare to others, I want to tell you today, your worth is not decided by how you compare to others. Your worth was decided at the cross where Jesus Christ died for your sins and my sins. That's where your worth is decided. It's decided 2,000 years ago before you ever tried to compare yourself to anyone, before you ever tried to meet anyone's standard. God said, I love you. I don't want to be separated from you because of sin. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to you. I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He's going to open up his arms. He's going to stretch them out and say, this is how much I love you. It is finished. It is done. You don't have to do anything else to get to me because I love you with an unconditional love. Come on, give God a big hand in this place right now. How can I possibly be shouting louder than you? Come on, shout to God in this place right now. Turn neighbor and say, you are so loved by God. You are so loved by God. And since you are so unconditionally loved by God, since you matter so much to him, since you are so precious to him, how silly would it be if you lived the rest of your life thinking that your worth is based on how you compare to someone else when your worth was decided at the cross. Come on, give God all of your praise. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Would you read it with me in a big, loud voice? What does it say? It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, to show that God's love for you isn't based on how you compare to others. To show you that God's love for you isn't even how much you're based, isn't even based on how you compare to God. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us even while we're sinners, even while we had no way of reaching him. That's how much you're worth to God. That even on your worst day, on the day when you are the most difficult person in your neighborhood, when you're the most difficult person in your home, when you are focused on the poo, even then, God loves you with an everlasting love. That is your worth. It's not based on how you compare to others. It's based on the cross where Jesus Christ died. Amen? Last verse, and we're going to close. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Read it with me today. It says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Would you give God a big, big hand for all that he's done to share and show his love for us? Oh, come on. If you're going to give God a big clap, give him a big clap in this place. I'm going to ask our band to come up to the front to lead us in a song. I'm going to ask all of you to stand as we respond to God. After that, I'm going to lead you in prayer on this awesome Thanksgiving Sunday. Let's give our very best to God.